Amen. So if you uh, are just joining us, we, as we, we did Easter, leading up to Easter, we talked about these stories about where the Son talks to the Father. So they're really just prayers from the Son to the Father. And then at Easter, we talked about the resurrection. And after Easter, my, my promise to you is that what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about uh, stories of Jesus in his resurrected state. And so it's interesting because a lot of times people are, are pretty clear about the idea that Jesus died on the cross and then rose from the grave. And even if you don't believe that, you'd say, but I, but I understand that that, that that was a thing, that that's, that's a belief, that Jesus died on the cross and then rose from the grave, that that's the Christian thought. But then you say, what happened after that? You go, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, there's a couple of stories. I'm not sure how that happened. Did he leave? Like, well, I, I'm, well he's not here. I don't, so I, I'm assuming he left at some point. And then what, how, how did the church start? I don't know. And so we're, really, we're going to be looking at uh, the, the time frame after Jesus raised from the dead. And then there's 40 days. There's 40 days between the resurrection and what we call the ascension, where Jesus, he, he ascends into heaven. And so on, on, on that Sunday and a couple of Sundays, I'm going to preach on the ascension. And then after the ascension, so 40 days between resurrection and ascension, 10 days later is what you get is what's called Pentecost, where the Spirit, the Spirit of God descends on the, the believers. And I'm going to preach on Pentecost on Pentecost Sunday, which is June 9th. And so that's all going to be uh, leading up. And we're going to be looking at the stories of, of these disciples. And what I want to encourage you to do is I want you to encourage you to, to, to see the humanity of the disciples. It's hard because I think so often what we do is we, we put them on this huge pedestal. Even we think that there are, there are these old, wise men. Like, you know, we think about St. Peter. And St. Peter, was, and we think about this, you know, he's got a beard. But really, he's probably very, very young, probably even a, a teenager. And, and these guys are, and the disciples that are with them, they, they are wrestling with, with world-changing ideas. And, and they don't know. And I think what we do a lot of times, we go, oh, it's St. Peter, it's St. John, it's, it's Paul. And we, we really put them on a pedestal, but they're just human, they're like us. And so I think in that, what we see is we see a lot of what you would expect to see in them, especially in their, in their, in their journey. We, things, we see things like fear, like doubt, confusion. Like we also see things of like clarity and understanding. We see great moments of faith. We see things where they, they don't do things well. Where they fail. And so there's all of this mix that's going on. What it shows to us is really their humanity. I think a lot of times what we think is that we think that our spiritual journey, like our spiritual growth is it's going to go up like this. It's going to go up and to the right. And so the things that are of God, they're just going to increase and go up and to the right. And so, uh, so tomorrow I will, I will doubt less than I did today. And tomorrow I will have more joy than I did to have today. And if we do this enough days, then I'll get somewhere in the future, uh, you know, 30 years from now, and I'll have all joy and no doubt and, and all joy and no grief and, uh, and no fears. And all of that will go away because I'll be a super mature Christian at some point in the future. And really what I have seen, I don't know about your experience, my experience is that what, what happens with Christian maturity is that it shifts, it morphs. But yet at the same time, like it's, it seems to be present, like our, our doubts are, are present with, with great moments of faith. You know, our confusion is present with confusion. Oh, sorry, confusion is present with, with clarity. Or like joy is present with grief. 
and it's this this weird like ball of just like of of mess that just kind of morphs and shapes. In fact, we were talking between services. I go, so like when we talk about like fears and doubts, you go, yeah, like, there's things that I I fear now that I didn't fear, you know, three years ago. But there are things I I feared three years ago or, or ten years ago. I don't fear those anymore. And so it is really. So the question then becomes, what do we do with these places? We're going to see a story this morning where Jesus deals with the fears and the doubts of of the disciples. But my question is to you is like, what do you do with your fears and doubts, right? I mean, how do you handle them? I find often what we do with our fears and doubts is we just we just we just pretend like they don't exist. And if I if I deny it enough, then it will finally it'll just it'll go away. If I deny that that's a doubt long enough, I just ignore it, then it'll just go away and go, well, maybe. But the problem is actually a lot of times what I find with fear and doubt is that they they rear their ugly heads at, at unexpected times. And just when you think it's it's gone, you go, up, oh, dealt with it. It pops back up somewhere like, like a little whack-a-mole, right? So you're just like, whack it. And then it goes away, and then it pops back up over here. And you go, now what do you do with it? What do you do with it? And what do you do with your fears and doubts? Do you ignore them? And what does God think about them? You know, fear is actually, it's not all a bad thing, right? I mean, you, you, there's some things you would even teach your fear, your kids to fear, you know? You don't want them to be afraid of running out into the street without looking both ways, right? There's, there's, there is a healthy amount of fear. But what you're trying to do, and what we're all trying to do, is we're trying to put fear appropriately placed. Because when fear is misplaced, you know, misplaced fear, will, will, it will trap you. And the same thing with doubt. Like, people think, like, oh, doubt. Doubt's not all bad. Like, sometimes, like, there are things, like, yes, yes, yes. Got my doubt. But if what happens with your doubt is that you can never, ever trust, then it becomes a problem. And so fear and doubt, actually, they have, I think they have their proper places. The problem is, is that they, they cannot rule the day. And hear me on this. If fear and doubt rule the day, you will never experience intimate relationships. And this is true, by the way, uh, not just with like God, right? But this is also true with other people. You know, you, there, there's, there's fear and doubt with your spouse, fear and doubt with a sibling, fear and doubt with, with anybody. That relationship where fear and doubt rules the day, man, you won't experience intimacy. You won't experience any sort of meaningful relationships. They'll always be surfacey because I can't trust you and I'm afraid of you, right? And so what do we do with our fear and doubts? And what we're going to see this morning, actually, is not what the, even what the disciples do with their fear and doubt, but what does God himself do with their fear and doubt? Have you ever had, like, fear and doubt, and then you felt guilty for the fear and doubt? <coughs> but does God really actually think in that moment, like, like, he is, like he's, he's upset or ashamed at you? So if you got your Bible, that's what we're going to ask. And what I think that's going to happen this morning I think he's going to, what Jesus is going to do, he's going to clarify two things for them, and then he's going to give them two promises. So if you've got your Bibles, this is Luke chapter 24. We're going to start in verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened. They thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Verse 36, as they were talking about these things, as they were talking about 
these things. Now, the first question, right, is, well, what things? Well, last week, as you remember, if you're here, we, we looked at the story of the, 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 the two followers that were on their way to Emmaus. And as they were walking to Emmaus and talking about the resurrection, talking about Jesus, talking about this, like who they thought Jesus was going to be, we had hoped he was going to be the deliverer. As they're having this conversation, Jesus himself comes along and he's having the conversation with them. And then he points out all of the Old Testament passages that are about the Messiah and then Jesus, they're, they're stopping at their house, and then Jesus pretends like he's going to go on. And then they say, no, stay with us. Jesus stays with them. They go to eat the meal. They break the bread. As Jesus breaks the bread, they realize it's Jesus himself. And as soon as they do that, he's gone. And so those, those two, what they do is they run back to, well, we don't know if they run, but I, I assume that they ran. Uh, they, they run back to Jerusalem. And then they tell, they find the other disciples. And now the other disciples, they have stories. And they're, everybody are talking about these stories and they're discussing these things. As I was prepping for this message, I thought, how often are we, are we just talking about these things? You know? Like, I mean, I, I get, like, this is still Easter Sunday, by the way, right? It wasn't you know, as, as we able to celebrate it, it's the Resurrection Sunday. So I get like the most important thing in human history has just happened. So I get that they would talk about those things. But I, I thought to myself, like, how often do we talk like about these things? In other words, the things that God is doing in your life. See, I think what we've done a lot is what we think is that we think that life, that we, our, our relationship with God, we go, yes, it is, it is a personal thing. You go, yes, it is a personal thing. Like, in other words, like, you don't have to, like, you don't have to come to me to go to God, right? It's not like God hears my prayers any better than he hears your prayers or, or that, he, like, or that I, I somehow mediate the relationship. I don't. Like, you can go straight to God. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. That's a beautiful thing. But the problem is, I think a lot of times we have allowed, in part of our, part of our culture too, we've allowed a personal faith that has been translated and blurred the lines into a private faith. And where I would say 100% it is to be personal, to which I would greatly disagree that it's to be private. We're actually supposed to be talking about these things. And I think to myself, how often do we talk about these things, the things that God is doing in your life? I thought, like, when's, when's the last time you had that conversation? Guys? When's the last time you asked your spouse, what's God doing in your life? Ladies, when's the last time you asked your husband that? Or a friend of yours, like a good friend that you go, yeah, when's, like, when's the last time? Like, we're so quick to talk about other things. Hey, did you see that game? Hey, did you go see that movie? Oh, what's going on with that show? These celebrities over here. And, blah, 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 blah. and we're, we're, we're totally missing the important things that God is doing. I mean, you want more intimate relationships, like more meaningful relationships, you work this conversation in. You work, this becomes a part of your vernacular. Hey, you, this is an expected question. Just tell me, like, so what's God doing right now for you? And, and I'll, I'll tell you what, what you'll see. Is I think you, you'll see these, these relationships deepen. And what you'll do is you'll take your personal relationship with your personal God. And what it will do is it will deepen your relationship. What God, what's God doing with you? And so as they are talking about 
these things. And it says that Jesus stood among them. The idea is that he was listening in. In other words, then Jesus, notice the difference between, he didn't walk in, he was standing among them, he stood among them. In other words, like, he was probably listening to the conversation. And as he was listening to this conversation, he says, peace to you. This is sort of a greeting, but a peace to you. And what it says here is it was, they were startled and frightened and they thought they saw a spirit. Now, there's a lot of times in the Bible where I think we, we, read, the, we read the experience of the disciples and we go, that's weird. If, if this happened like this, why would the disciples respond like this? This makes no sense. Then there are other times like this one, we're like, yeah, I totally get that. Like if I was talking about Jesus, uh, I'm talking about Jesus, and all of a sudden he just appeared and said, peace to you, I would, I would, I would be freaked out out and then so they are they are freaked out here and the question that he asked them is why are you troubled why do your why do doubts arise in your hearts now what's that question in reference to is that questions in reference to the fact that they just saw him? Like they saw him all of a sudden. They saw Jesus, peace to you, and then they're troubled, and then doubts arise. Well, probably not. The why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts is most likely in the reference to the conversation they've been having. In other words, they've been talking about how much this is troubling them and how, much, how many doubts are arising. Which part of me says this is a beautiful thing because they're actually they're bringing their troubles and their doubts to community. We're talking about it out. Like, I got doubts. I don't know. Am I, I'm troubled about this. But really when Jesus says, he's listening to the conversation, and when he joins into the conversation of troubled hearts and doubting hearts, what's his first word? Peace to you. Peace to you. We think, oh, that's just the way Jesus says, what's up? Like, well, maybe, but, but, but this is like, peace to you, peace to you. Oh, troubled and doubting hearts, would you experience peace? Because you can't experience peace and trouble and doubting all at the same time. There's a connection between troubling and doubting, isn't there? Have you ever been troubled? I mean, you know what that's like? No, I don't know what that's like. What's that? That must be weird. What would that be like, huh? Okay, so if you've never been troubled, imagine it. I mean, you have to really, maybe really, really go far in your imagination to feel like what it would be like to be troubled. But you could probably get there. You know, a place of uh, despair, discouragement, of confusion, of stress, of anxiety. So now that you're there, there's a connection between the trouble and the doubting. Have you found it common that as trouble goes up, so does your doubts? And the more that you're troubled, the more that you doubt? Because what happens is as you experience the trouble, whatever that trouble is, you start to think to yourself, well, maybe God isn't good. Maybe God doesn't hear my prayers. Maybe I'm not as good as I think that I am with him. Maybe God loves them more. Maybe God's not all-powerful. Maybe God doesn't care. And so as the trouble goes up, 
what comes with it is, as, we, as I think is here, is, is the doubts. And I, I think that the downward spiral of, of despair is that there are trouble comes along, and because the trouble comes along, the doubt arises. And as the doubt arises, guess what comes with it? More trouble. And as more trouble comes, guess what goes up? More doubt. And then it just goes like this downward spiral of doubt and despair and uh, trouble and doubt and trouble and doubt and trouble. And what we see here is, is to complicate this more, is that they're doubting and they're troubling. Why? Because Jesus is raised from the grave. So let me put this in a, like a different way for you, maybe. Is that because God has been more active than he has probably ever been in human history in this moment, doubt and trouble rises. Because I think what we would expect is the opposite, right? What we would expect is as, as God's activity goes up, what goes down? Trouble and doubts. I mean, all the time people go, if God would just be more clear in his actions, then I would have that clarity. I go, well, here's the problem, is that we get a story like this, and he's the most clear he's ever been. And so his actions have been, the more, like, they've been more powerful than they've ever been. And yet, what do we see with the disciples? We see doubting. You know, it's, it's a lot easier a lot of times to understand what God has done than it is to understand what God is doing. In other words, it's much easier to understand what God has done back over here than it is to understand what he's doing right here. And I think a lot of, like, a lot of our frustration sometimes with faith is that we want the clarity of over here, but we want it in the moment. And really, truth be told, is that the clarity that we want, only time will afford to us. And so here we see their, their, their activity, the activity of God increases, and what increases with it? Trouble and doubts. And so, interestingly how Jesus responds to this. Verse 39. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. So what does Jesus do to, to, to come against the doubting of the disciples, the doubt and the trouble of the disciples? What does he say? I'm here. It's me. It's really, really me. It's, it's, it's really me. See, I think what happens a lot of times when we doubt and we fear, like we're troubled and we experience doubt, and we have those doubts, we feel guilty for those. Like, oh man, I shouldn't doubt God. God's God. Like, God's good. I've had a conversation with myself. I'm like, maybe God's not good. Like, you, you shut up, Josh. God is really good. Like, you know, and then I, I feel guilty even for that, that thought. But is that what Jesus does here? Why are your hearts troubled? Why do doubts arise? How dare you doubt me? Who do you think you are to doubt me? Am I, I, I rose from the grave, right? I died on the cross, rose from the grave. I just showed up here. I, I, I beat the guys from Emmaus here. I mean, I, 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 I'm that good. What else do you need from me? What else do you want me to do? 
Is that God's response? Is that Jesus' response here? No. What is it? It's me, guys. It really, really is me. I want to clarify for you my presence. I'm really with you. Like, what, like you want to see my hands? My feet? Like, you want to touch them? And the idea is that the, the wounds are there, still there. My feet, you want to see that? You, want to, you, you can touch it. It's very real. The big thing here also is that this idea that it's not a spiritual resurrection. In other words, it's not like, well, Jesus, it's, it's his spirit that is now with us. He goes, well, now this is a physical resurrection. This is what he's saying. It's not just a spirit. It's a physical resurrection, which is one of the reasons why we hold to a physical resurrection. The body will raise again. That's why we don't just say that the, the body's all bad. Like, well, no, the body's there in resurrection. It was there for Jesus. And if we share with him in his death, we will share in, in a death like his. We will share in a resurrection like his. And so it's very physical. So Jesus is like, you can, touch, you can touch my hands. You can touch my feet. I'm very real. I am here with you. If that is not enough, verse 41, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. And so, This is this idea like this, and while they still disbelieved for joy, they still disbelieved for joy. I love this. This is uh, probably put more into our terms is that when it was still too good to be true. Wow. You're something, experience like something, it's just too good to be true. Like you get the news, you're like, no, nah, it can't be true. Now, because that's true. Like you know how awesome that is. You know, and so well, actually what's happening to you is like you want to believe it, but, but you're, you're afraid that it's, not, it's too good to be true. And you're afraid that if you, if, you, if you let yourself find joy in it and peace in it and excitement in it, that it's all going to happen is that you're going you're gonna to do that and then you're going to find out that it wasn't true and now you're going to be in a worse place than you were before because you were now a fool. Because before you just didn't have hope. Now you didn't have hope and you're a fool. And so, so you just better not to do that. When there is still disbelief for joy, it was too good to be true. What do they do? I love what Jesus does. Have you anything here to eat? <laughs> now why is Jesus doing this? Is he hungry? Maybe, probably not. What's he doing? The hands and the feet, that's not enough? That's not enough for you? You got some food? I'll show you something. I'll tell you what ghosts can't do. Ghosts don't eat food. And so what you got? Uh, we got a broiled fish. Yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They bring that on. Broiled fish. And I love how it says, the idea here is that they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. And in other words, it's like they're, like they're just watching them. They're like, okay, so what's, what's going on like this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring him the fish. Bring him the fish. We're going we're to see what's happening here. Hands, feet, not enough for you? Well, okay, what else you got? I'll, I'll, eat, I'll, eat, I'll eat something. Ghosts don't eat. So it's interesting where Jesus, he goes, he goes above and beyond what he needs to. He doesn't need to do anything, really. But he goes above and beyond all of that to, to clarify it for them. I am really here with you. I know your hearts are troubled. I know that doubts have arisen. But I'm here with you. I want you and I, it's not just like, a, this is not just your collective imagination. Like, I'm physically present with you. What else does he do? Verse 44. Then he said to them, 
These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And so after he, presumably after he eats the broiled fish, he begins to teach. And he says, this is what I've said to you from the beginning. This death and resurrection, I know because I'm so active, this death and resurrection, what it's done is it's created like this chaos for you. I know it's troubled you. I know that it's caused some confusion for you. I know that your doubts have, have arisen because of this. But I want, I, this is what I've been telling you from the beginning. You can go back to Luke 9.22 where he actually, he, he just says, uh, the Son of Man's got to die. He's going to be turned over to, to the leaders. They're going to crucify him. On the third day, I'm going to rise again. I'm like, hmm, I wonder what he means by all of that. And he says, this is what I meant. And then it says this, I love this statement, verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. You think about the intensity of this moment. You know, I mean, once again, this is still Resurrection Sunday. They went to the tomb expecting to, 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 to bury Jesus and to, to, to prepare him for burial. Word has come back that he's not there anymore. Where did they take him? Is his body stolen? That's all on the heels, right, of, of Good Friday and the, the trauma of watching their, their loved uh, leader be crucified. Now these words or reports are coming back from people who have seen Jesus, but nothing that can quite yet be quantified. Uh, and then they got this, this word that came back from these, these two from the, on the way to Emmaus. We saw him too. And when they come back in, they're like, well, we have other reports. And then they're having all of these reports. And then they have an experience with the physically present Jesus. And as he begins to teach, he begins to open their minds so that they would understand Scripture. You go, man, what that must have been like. But here's the, the beautiful, really good thing for you is that actually that's, that's offered to you. This whole idea that God would open your mind to understand Scripture. See, this is the first time that this is being offered to the disciples, but it's, it's offered to you. This is what the, the Bible teaches us. That actually God's Spirit in you, this is what it says, that God's Spirit in you now. Not just, not just opening your mind, but your, God's Spirit from within you is opening your mind to understand his word. Sometimes people will come to me and they'll say, Josh, I don't what is what is this? What is what does this passage mean? What does this passage mean? And we actually get to talk about it. But one of my first questions is always like, I don't know, what do you think it means? You go, I don't know. I read it once, and then like I thought about it for like ten seconds. I'm like, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I I, I give up. Like I give up. Like I, I I gave it one read through and then nothing. I'm like, well try this. Try, we'll talk about it, but try this. Try, try reading it 50 times. And then try reading, out of those 50 times, try reading it out loud 25. And before you do any of that, say, God, this is your word. You give understanding to your word. Would you help me understand your word? And I can tell you, like, God is so faithful 
with that with that prayer. And like, just I mean, I don't I'm not sure what you guys like. What, but the, one of the processes I go through, and that any probably anybody that preaches go through, especially when you preach through a book of the Bible. He said, like, it'll be, it'll be Sunday, I'll preach the message, and I'll think, and here's the next chunk, and I'll think to myself, especially on Monday, I go, I, I, I do not know. I do not know. And one of my prayers is consistently is, God, I don't know necessarily what you're saying right here, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach on this, and I want your people to know. And so before they know, I have to know. And so would you, would you help me understand what it is that you're saying? And sometimes it just comes through like a, it just, Things just kind of come together. Sometimes it comes through reading other people, what, they, what God has spoken through them. But God is looking to open your mind. This is what the Spirit does so that you would understand his word. And what he says here is in this particular moment here is that he was opening their mind to show like, like everything that Moses said, everything that the prophets, Elijah said, everything that, that Jeremiah and, and, and uh, Ezekiel, everything that the prophets were saying, all that they were saying was pointing to this moment, this death and resurrection. The death and resurrection, and then what? That the forgiveness of sins and the repentance would be offered, Right? So this idea that there is the death and resurrection and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all of the nations. It's interesting because forgiveness is this is one thing where people don't think that any, anyway, nobody really thinks that forgiveness is controversial until you start to talk about forgiveness and then people go, oh, it's super controversial. I go, yeah, because we should be a more forgiving people. You're right, we should be. I would like those sorts of things that good. But the problem is, is to say that God is going to proclaim forgiveness means what? That some, like we're in need of forgiveness. Right now we're in a culture where like to say that, like we're probably most people don't think, they, they think the, the world is broken and doing wrong things, but not necessarily me. And you can't tell me that I'm wrong. The problem is, is that if you never see yourself as being in the wrong, you'll never see yourself in need of forgiveness. And you, if you don't see yourself in need of forgiveness, then you'll never see yourself in need of Jesus. You don't believe me true? You go offer somebody forgiveness who thinks that they've done no wrong to you. You see what happens, right? Come here. You go to them, even if they have wronged you, and even if you have forgiven them, you go to them and say, I've decided to forgive you. And if they don't think that they have done anything wrong, you know what their response is most likely going to be? For what? Well, for this thing that you said to me. <sighs> okay, fine. I'm glad you, for, yeah, but I, that's, uh, that, was, that was not my fault. Well, it kind of was, and I've forgiven you for it. Well, it kind of wasn't, and I don't care. <laughs> right? And so now they've wounded you all again, and now, and now you've got to forgive them all over. Well, now I've got to go back from square one. Why? What are you saying? You've done something wrong. And what I'm saying is that, that forgiveness in, in the name of Jesus is going to be proclaimed and repentance. So it's not just forgiveness, this idea that God forgives, but that man repents. That's a proper response to God's forgiveness. The forgiveness of God is the repentance of man, that you would turn around and, you know, the, the, the idea is like you stop going this direction and you start going in this direction. And so the forgiveness and that it's going to, is what he says, it's going to begin in Jerusalem. And what I love that is that it's going to begin in Jerusalem. 
But you know where, like, they would always go to? They would always go to Jerusalem. You always go up to Jerusalem. Even if you're at a higher elevation than Jerusalem, you would still say, I'm going to go up to Jerusalem. Why? Because Jerusalem is it's, it's, it's it. It's where, it's where the temple is. It's where the presence of God is. All of that stuff. It's all there. Everybody, all the holy festivals, the holy, all of that. They would, go to, they would go to Jerusalem. It would be their destination. And what Jesus is saying here is because of what's happened in Jerusalem, Jerusalem is no longer the destination as much as it's, as much, much more as the, as the origination. This is where it's starting. People aren't necessarily going to to come here as much as it is going to go out there. And so what he does is to his doubting disciples, which trouble has risen in their hearts, is he clarifies for them, I am with you, and he clarifies for them, and my word is true. And then he makes them two promises. Verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. Now, that may not sound like a promise. In fact, often when we read like a statement like that, super sure, you're witnesses of these things. And so it, we almost picture Jesus going of like, well, you know, so there's the death and the resurrection. All the prophets have spoken about this. Uh, you are witnesses of these things. And so then you're going to go out into all the world. Listen to what he's just said. Moses was talking about this day. Isaiah was talking about this day. David talked about this day. Everything, all of the prophets, all of all of the Old Testament is moving towards this day. And guess what? You are witnesses of this day. Moses would have loved to have seen this day. Abraham would have loved to have seen this day. Joseph, Isaac, all of them would have loved to have seen this day. And you, you are witnesses to it. And so this idea, when we, even when we talk about evangelism or whatever, like we think about witnessing. And what we're doing is we're, we're, we're bringing testimony. Here's what God has done in my life. And I'm bringing you the witness of, I've, I've witnessed the, the, the work of God in my own life of forgiveness and redemption, and now I am, I'm bringing, I am bearing witness to you. And what he is saying here is that in your presence, I'm going to give your presence this idea of, of, of meaning and purpose. You are witnesses. You are witnesses to all of this. But by the grace of God. You are witnesses by the grace of God. Now, here's the interesting thing. Because when we think about witnessing, we don't receive it as a grace. We receive it much more as a burden, right? When we think about witnessing, it's much more for us, if I'm just being honest, probably for you, for me. When we think about witnessing, it's a much more of a I have to and less of a I get to. Has God ever asked for you to share about his story with someone around you? Do you receive that as a grace? Probably not, right? I mean, you hear God say, hey, 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 you know that guy that you work with? Yes, I want you to go tell them about me. <sighs> Seriously? Do you have no, is there nobody else on the docket? Like there's nobody, I mean, am I at the bottom of the barrel? Like how far down did you have to go before my name came up? And God's like, I want you to go talk to him. <sighs> okay, Fine. 
but you get one for this month. And if that's the one you pick, I, I'm going to do, I got, I got one for you this month. And if that's the one you're going to pick, then so be it. But don't come back a week from now and be like, this person over here too, because that's it, right? Does that sound like, does that sound like you're bearing witness is a, is a grace? No. What does it sound like is that it's a burden. Like you're doing God a huge favor. What he's saying, I got a promise for you. The promise for you is that you bore witness to this and you're going to bear witness to this. And by the way, that's by my grace that you get to bear witness to that. Moses would have loved to have bear witness to this. Abraham would have loved to have testified to this. And I'm telling you, you get to. And so I'm going to clarify that I'm with you. I'm going to clarify that my word is true. And I promise you that your life has meaning and it has purpose. You're my witness. Then he goes on in verse 49. And behold, I am, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So I'm sending the Spirit. Jesus has said prior to this, he has said, I've got to go that the Spirit may come. I'm leaving you, but uh, I've, I've asked the Father to send the Helper to you, the Spirit. And when I depart, he's going to come to you. And so now he says, actually, there's, there's a promise. Not only does your present have purpose and meaning, but your future, actually, it's going to be better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you had a hard time believing this was true back in, you know, verse, verse 41. You, it was too good to be true. Well, I'm telling you, it's actually even better than that. You have a hard time believing that, that this is true. I'm telling you, it's actually better than that. It's more true than that. And I want you to stay here in Jerusalem until that happens. Don't go anywhere. Now, actually, we're, we're going to find out actually next week. They actually go up to the Galilee because Jesus said, hey, Meet me in the Galilee. But really what he's saying here is, he goes, I want you to remain in Jerusalem. It's like Jerusalem's going to be your hub. It's going to be your headquarters. And it's going to be like that until I send you out. But wait here until the Spirit comes. And when I preach on Pentecost, that's, that's that day. That's when the Spirit descends. And so what does Jesus do with the doubts and the fears of the disciples? Now, this is super, I think for me, super important. Because we think that eventually doubts and fears will just, they'll just go away. But they, 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 they arise and they rear their ugly heads. And so what does he do? He clarifies that he's with them. He clarifies his word, right? He tells them that their present has purpose and meaning. And he tells them the future is going to be better. Now, I don't know about you and I don't know about your fears and your doubts. I don't know what they are. I don't know about your troubles. But I would submit to you that I think that knowledge that he is with you, knowledge that his word is true, knowledge that your present, it really does have purpose and meaning, and that knowledge that your future will really be better, is encouraging. And it may not totally squash the, uh, the doubts and the fears, but it's going to address them for sure. And so my question to you is that if, if you are doubting, if you are wrestling with fear which which of those do you need the most and i encourage you to pray for that and you go i liked all four could i do all four you go, yeah you can do all four and i like all four 
Uh, I think they're, they're good, they're here, they're, they're great. Uh, I, I just think sometimes it's easier to focus in on one. You know, sometimes when we do the shotgun approach, it's like, I just, I'm praying for it all. And you go, okay. But, uh, but I, I think for me, it's like, it's sometimes it's easier if I just pray for one or, or for two. And for you, maybe it is, God, I just need to know that you're with me. Like, I need to be reassured. And we think sometimes that that's like a, that's like a, like a lack of faith. That's not even a lack of faith. It's this idea that you're, it's actually a moment of faith to say, God, I believe that you're, I, I think you're true. I think you're right and you're holy and great and awesome. I just need to know that you're with me. Would you reassure me? Every good, healthy relationship will have some of these moments. Like, I know you're here, but can, can, you, can you just say, I love you? I love you. Was that, was that so hard? So maybe it's for you, you're like, I just need to be reassured that Jesus is with me. That's your prayer. For you, maybe it, it is a, uh, you need to be reassured that his word is true. There's, I can tell you, there's, there's been multiple times in my life, and I assume that the, the, the same will be true moving forward, is that where I'm going through a trouble or, uh, or an anxiety or, um, or a fear or a doubt, where I go to God's word and I say, God, would you just, would you answer my doubt? Would you answer my fear? Would you answer my anxiety in your word? And I can't tell you how many times I've come to this and it just starts speaking to it. And I'll say, you'll, you'll hear me say something like, I'll marinate in that verse. I'll sit in that verse and go, ah. and what's happening is my, through my experience, through my circumstance, is what's happening is God's word is gaining new clarity. Can I tell you that something that's true of me that I, I, I'm going to think is true of you as well? is that because of your experiences in life, is that then all of a sudden new passages bring on new meaning. And maybe you read a passage 30 times in your life, your life before, but because you're going through something and the way that you're in it now, is that that passage all of a sudden brings new meaning to you. So what's happening there? One is that God's opening up your mind to understand his word. And then this two, he's showing to you in the moment, in real life, in real time, that his word is true. And then maybe for you, you just need to be reminded that your present, your present has meaning. You know, your present has meaning, it has purpose. You're witnessing the things of events. And I get that God maybe is working in your life in ways that you don't understand, you don't get. And the ways that he's doing that is rising, is raising up your, your fear, your doubt, and your confusion. But know that your, your, your present has meaning and it has purpose. And know that something better is on the way. Now, things may not get, in a sense, better circumstantially. I can't promise you that. But I can promise you is that the Spirit of God is going to empower you and strengthen you and give you the endurance that you need. So my, my, my prayer for you is that you would, if you find yourself in the day of trouble, if you find yourself in the day of doubt, and if and when you do, and if and when you continually do, that we would, we would, we would take these to Jesus. And that he would assure us of his presence. So he would clarify for us his word. He would remind us that our present has purpose and meaning. And that our future will be better. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you are with us. That you guide us and you lead us and you direct us. God, we thank you that you're not afraid of our doubts, our fears. You're not afraid of our, our trouble. In fact, actually, you know them better than we know them. You're aware of them better than we're aware of them. You know how to answer them better than we know even how they, they should be answered or could be answered. And so we, 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 we entrust them to you. We thank you that you do not 
cast us away because we doubt or because we're troubled. But actually with the disciples who's here is that you draw near, like you get it. You understand it. And you're looking to, to speak into it, to step into it. May you sit with us in it. May you step into it with us. May we be assured of your presence. And may because of the things that you are doing, may we bear witness to it. We love you. We pray for these things in your name. Amen.